On today's 51%, the second part of a series on human trafficking and unhoused youth. We'll speak with a young woman who became unhoused and sought help with a local housing program. You do realize that you are a burden. You are annoying almost everyone. And we'll meet the executive director of that program. Homelessness really cuts across all demographics um, and all income levels. I'm Jackie Orchard, and this is 51%. Andy Gilpin is the executive director for Captain Community Human Services based in Saratoga County, New York. It's really quite a unique organization. It's been around for 44 years. Um, community service, human services, based um, largely in volunteer-driven programs, very community-connected. Um, and we empower and look to support folks of all ages uh, on their growth uh, towards personal issues that they want to uh, grow towards. Gilpin says Captain helps the unhoused, those dealing with food insecurity, those in human trafficking situations, and families experiencing trauma across New York's capital region. Everybody from children all the way to senior citizens, um, across that whole spectrum, um, people come to us in various situations, um, individuals, families, um, youth, young adults, um, all experiencing some sort of housing crisis. Could be homelessness, could be street homelessness, could be uh, unstably housed in some way, being kicked out, um, being asked to leave, um, and then situations where eviction is an eminent issue. Um, all of those across those spectrums of housing are, are who we can help uh, with different funding, different programs, um, different things set up to support them to get to permanent housing, maintain permanent housing, um, and really help get stability back in their lives. According to Covenant House, a global nonprofit dedicated to helping victims of human trafficking, about 20,000 kids are forced into human trafficking every year, usually after becoming homeless. There are about 10,000 homeless shelters in the country, but Gilpin says youth shelters are rarer. He says Captain's Youth Shelter is designed to remove kids from high-risk situations before it's too late. So Runaway and Homeless Youth Shelter, um, located in Malta, um, primarily serves under 18, but our kind of main focus is 13 to 17. That's usually where we find most of our referrals coming from. And so youth come to us, again, non-system youth, um, haven't been involved with juvenile justice, probably not um, involved with child protective services, um, not something that warrants inpatient mental health. So it's those kids who uh, find crisis at home, something has happened, um, either they have initiated issue or something happening to them, um, whatever it is, they have a housing crisis, and they can come to us uh, short-term, it's crisis intervention for, uh, typically we say up to 30 days, but we can go longer than that as needed. Um, and generally what we're trying to do is create a situation where we can provide uh, the stability in a crisis-free environment, professional staff, uh, dedicated case manager, all working to resolve the issues that uh, are at play. Gilpin says reunification with the family is ideal. About 85% of the kids return home to their parent guardian. So it's really family mediation, working through some of the issues, get supports in place, uh, identify what were the issues that led to the, the housing crisis. For the remainder, um, it's about trying to find what's the next best situation for them. Could be another family member, could be foster care, could be um, some other independent living situation, whatever it might be. Depending on their age, depending on their circumstances, we can really try to identify what's best for them. 
Gilpin says Captain often acts as a mediator so that families can come back together safely. Many times, both parties, youth and family, realize that there's a definite issue. Like they haven't been able to address it, and now it's reached a boiling point. And so now um, the youth has uh, either, you know, one, left the house on their own, or, you know, some other agency has helped get them to us. So, like, it's, it's definitely reached a point that it can't be ignored any longer. So then the conversations can open up to say, okay, what happened? How did we get here? What can we do? Um, so a lot of it's just the mediation of working through communication, working through uh, understanding what you know expectations both have. Gilpin says when reunification just isn't an option, there are other programs. So when somebody presents to us as not having any housing whatsoever, truly homeless, we can get them and take them from that point to uh, their own apartment, to permanency with supported case management and really uh, help them start off a new chapter in their life. One young woman who went through this program is 19-year-old Ashley Baines. Baines grew up in a mobile home on Long Island. She says the road that led her to being unhoused started with a tumultuous home life. Her father left when she was young, and she still doesn't know where he went, leaving her mom to raise her, her brother, and her sister alone. Baines's sister is 18 years older than her. So when I was born, she just had her first son. And so him and I are three months apart. Bain says growing up, her mom was preoccupied with Bain's sister, who struggled with addiction. She was living at home with mom at the time. And then just trying to make sure she was okay, trying to get her on a steady path. Bain says her brother, who is bipolar and now 32, fought constantly with her sister, who is now 36. What do you do when they're arguing? Because like, me just sitting there, I'm like... You just sit there and you're listening to things that are being said. And then your mom's sitting there trying to break it up, but she doesn't know what else to do because, like, at this point, they're, like, in their almost 20s and arguing and, like, they're adults and, like, and then, you know, cops were eventually called. And it's, like, embarrassing, especially because, you know, someone who's my mom is trying to, one, shelter two kids away from the 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 loudness of the arguing, but also trying to stop them from arguing, but can't because she's tied up because she doesn't know what she's like. One person handling two different situations is like stressful. Bain says her sister had more children, whom Bain says she ended up mothering at a young age. Because they would started to call me mommy and I was like, I'm not your mom. And like I said that in front of my sister, but I also felt guilty for having them say that because it wasn't like I was trying to like I knew I played babysitter a lot and I was mostly around a lot. Baines says when she was nine her mom asked Baines's sister to come pick her up. Baines's mom needed to start her shift in the early morning. Her sister showed up in the middle of the night and seemed okay but was intoxicated. My sister is good at flaunting on making it seem like she's straight like clear-minded when she's not like it took me a few years to catch on to when she's not and she's really good at composing herself but then like there's cues that you could see but being young you don't really know that and she seemed fine to me because being nine years old I couldn't you, you don't really know the difference. Bain says she remembers the bumps of the first few curbs they hit on the drive. Baines was trying to sleep in the back seat. I was like 
falling in and out of consciousness because I was so tired that like I was already sleeping. I was already in like a deep sleep. You know, being nine this is late for a nine year old to be up in the middle of the night. I could tell you I was wearing my <laughs> blue uh, pajamas with uh, snowflakes on them, the matching set, of course. Like, I just remember that day, like, so clearly to me. Like, I just, like, it was like yesterday for whatever reason. Bain says after her sister hit the first curb, she put on her seatbelt. It ended up happening again, but this time the car had flipped over, like, upside down. Like, my head was, like, blood was rushing to my head because I was upside down. So I'm now stuck in the seatbelt. And um, my sister, like, the window shield smashed to the, on the ground and everything like that. Like, it happened so fast that, like, I couldn't even, like, register what had happened. All I knew is that by the time I opened my eyes again, I was upside down. And my sister was trying to figure out how to get out. I managed to get out by crawling out the, the window because the windows had shattered. Um, and then she told me to unbuckle my sipple, but to be careful because... I was like in the air, so I way I flipped, I landed on my feet and then had to crawl out of the uh, front door window. Bain says she struggled with depression growing up. She says eventually her dad came back and he and her mom would fight a lot. She says when she was a teenager, her parents hit a breaking point. They looked at it over a hole as, okay, there's something that needs to change because you keep going in and out of hospitals from your depression and things like that, and you're missing a lot of school because of it, and it seems that school becomes more stressful because you keep missing a whole bunch. Um, Regardless of being out, like, I wouldn't go to school because I just had days where I couldn't. Um, So they asked if, do you think that if we could set you up somewhere else, would would you be willing to go? without us. And I was like, yes, I would. Baines moved in with her aunt and uncle when she was 15. I lived with my aunt Karen at first. Um, At first it was great. It was changing and adapting to them because I knew when I first got up there, they always said, she's so quiet. She doesn't make conversations at all because I was used to that. I was used to living in a household where all I did was, was be in my room. And even at dinner time, we didn't have meals together. Her aunt and uncle lived in South Glens Falls, north of Saratoga County, and Bain says she grew close with her aunt. But then her junior year of high school, tragedy struck. She ended up falling down the cellar stairs uh, late one night. And it, to me, is life works crazy because we literally ended up having an argument the day prior before she ended up leaving us. And then that night we made up. And I... I'm so dumbfounded on the fact that, like, was it fate saying, like, you need to make up now because it's not, like, just how things played out. And um, we actually were arguing about my room not being clean and things like that and typical teenager stuff, obviously. Baines's uncle took guardianship of her, but she says she felt unwelcome. She says he was doing the best he could, but was still grieving for his wife and just didn't know how to manage a teenage girl. I felt like everything I did was just more of a burden or I was always doing something wrong. It was always eggshells there. And I felt like I shouldn't have to live like this. And it felt like every time I tried to talk to them about it, I felt uncomfortable because it felt like no matter what I tried to say, it was always deflected that I could do better and I was just like well I'm at a defeat because it feels like no matter what I try to talk to you I just I can't do it. 
Baines ended up staying with friends here and there, trying not to go home, until she was put in touch with Captain. I've heard of Captains through school because I knew they have another program for younger uh, kids, um, younger youths, but this was for, like, young adults. And to me, this was like, oh, really? Like, what are the odds? Bain says she did an intake interview with Captain. And I remember just talking to her and telling her, like, my story and how I ended up in the situation I uh, became in. And just, like, from telling them I felt like I was already accepted regardless you know what I mean like they were there to listen and they listened and then they believed in me which made me believe in myself a little more in a way because I was like oh if they're willing to work with me I'm definitely going to work with them because I've always just been that person to um, if you have the tools to do something, you need to take them because then it's an opportunity missed. Baines was in Captain Housing for a year. During that time, she finished high school. She then got a job, got on her feet, and learned how to pay bills and manage a budget. She says Captain's housing program charges a percentage of whatever you make, adjusted to what you can reasonably afford. Can you just describe, like, that general feeling of maybe, like, uneasiness that you were experiencing? Oh, you just feel like a burden every, no matter where you go. You always feel like you're a burden. Like, no matter how many times your friends can come to you and tell you that you're not a burden and they enjoy you having there, at some point, you do realize that you are a burden. You are annoying almost everyone. Not everyone, but you, tendency to feel like... As much as they enjoy your company, but after a while, you know it gets old. You know that you are adding more stress to a situation, and it's something that you probably felt as having a hard upbringing in general is something that you are used to feeling. Bain says if it weren't for Captain, she probably would have ended up back in Long Island. I think I would have been stuck. Gilpin says young people are increasingly running away because their families are not accepting of their gender identity. For youth who have come out and said, you know, this is how I want to be, and parents aren't accepting of that, so helping them understand, helping parents understand where the youth is coming from, help the youth find their voice to talk about those things. Um, other times, it's really like, okay, we need some supports here. You know, let's talk about therapy. Let's talk about family counseling. What are things that we can do to support you uh, and the family as a unit? Uh, so that we can support the youth in their whatever they're you know going through. So many times they haven't explored that or doesn't don't know what resources are out there. They don't know what's available to them, uh, helping them navigate that. And a lot of times uh, that break period sometimes helps both parties realize that it, they do really love each other. Um, it's a matter of just like coming back together again and saying, okay, let's reset. Let's talk about how we can move forward. Gilpin says many parents don't realize how serious their child feels about an issue until the child runs away. So it reached that point that both parties didn't really want to talk about or acknowledge, and now um, it's like it's in their face. They have to deal with it, and they realize that the the youth has reached a point where they can have voice and advocacy or uh, agency to do something on their own. They're like, okay, oh my God, we gotta you know 
let's let's talk about this. I don't want you to be out of the home. I don't want you to be away. Um, or, you know, yes, this was the best thing for us because, you know, if we kept going the way we were, somebody was, you know, it would just escalate out of control. Gilpin says young people don't just need a place to stay, but often counseling and possibly drug addiction treatment. So it's a lot of coordination of services, uh, working with school districts, working with those community supports I mentioned, family members, uh, other agencies who might be involved in their uh, situation. Uh, And then they meet with them weekly um, to talk about the different things, walk about the goals they're working on, uh, talk about the discharge planning. um, And that's with all of our case managers. We do uh, very robust case management services very intensive work to try to get them connected to whatever resource they need to make sure they're helping step to the next uh, point in their life, which leads to permanency, hopefully. Gilpin says they have about 10 case managers across different programs. He says drug use is more common in the 18 and older range. Generally, the kids coming to the youth shelter aren't heavily involved in drugs and alcohol at this point. They may be uh, you know, uh, experimenting with it, and they may have a... Uh, some connection to it in other ways. Many times there might be drug and alcohol use by their parent or guardian, which is affecting the housing stability. Um, We do see that quite often. Uh, But other than that, um, it's mostly that higher age for youth. Gilpin says there is a 24-hour hotline kids can call, and Captain will send someone to pick them up. The number is 518-369-9928. During business hours, we have the staff at the the shelter who actually field all the referral calls. And then after hours or weekends or holidays, whatever, we have that on-call number. Um, We do a simple referral. So we would basically ask a series of questions, make sure that we understand the circumstances the youth are coming to us with, uh, demographics and other involvement they may have with other agencies, um, any kind of situations that we should be aware of with mental health or medical issues, um, you know, issues at home, things like that. Once we get through that process, then we make a decision on is this youth appropriate for the current mix of youth we have and do they meet the kind of the criteria we're looking for? Are we the best resource for them? Um, If we are, then we talk about doing an intake, which will typically be that same day. Um, And then, you know, the youth can, uh, we work out the transportation issue, get them to the shelter, and then we do a whole intake with them when they come in. So uh, uh, gather those information about their circumstances, their uh, wellness. We do like a wellness um, interview with them, I guess would be the best way to say that. Um, Talk about uh, uh, suicidality. Uh, Is there any kind of issues that we need to be concerned with? Because we don't want a youth who's thinking of self-harm. We want to make sure they get right to the hospital for an evaluation to make sure they're in a safe place. Um, And then we just kind of try to integrate them right away into the house environment, talk about the rules, talk about what the situations for the home are, um, who's here, the staff, the schedule, whatever things they need to know, get their room, assign their room and their bed. Everybody has their own bed. Everybody has their own uh, closet and dresser, um, just orient them to the house and the routine. And then uh, the next day, well, it depends on the intake, but usually next business day, the case manager meets with them, goes over farther into the packet with goals and a discharge plan. Gilpin says people shouldn't assume that a homeless young person is a bad kid. Homelessness really cuts across all demographics um, and all income levels. We've had youth come from very well-to-do families and kids from very um, low-income poverty situations. Um, It doesn't discriminate in any way, shape, or form. People become unhoused um, and face housing crisis from all walks of life. Um, 
And many times, I would say the largest percentage of the time, uh, youth are really circumstances that happen to them, not so much it's them uh, initiating any kind of thing. Um, so many times it's whatever the, the environment has changed at home. There's a new uh, parent or caregiver or, um, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend for mom or dad. And that just creates tension in some way, shape or form. There's maybe harm that's happening at home. The youth has to be out of there. Um, or the youth provide uh, some sort of agency or advocacy for themselves and say, I can't be here any longer because it's not good for me. Let me, you know, leave this situation in some way, shape or form. Gilpin says many referrals come from schools. We have good connections with schools. School counselors know um, administration, that something's wrong with the kid, that something's off. So they talk, find out the situation, and then they contact us right away and say, hey, here's the situation. The kid doesn't feel safe going home. Um, do you have space? Can you have you know, the youth come in? Um, and then we'll make arrangements for them to come in. But, yeah, I would say many times it's not the kid that's it's some sort of bad kid or, you know, uh, in any way, shape or form, you know, breaking the law or, you know, deviant in any way. It's really bad set of circumstances that they're involved with and they're trying to do their best and we're there to support them. Gilpin says Captain fills in the gaps of state programs. Child Protective Services has some definite mandates. The counties, the states have a lot of different programs. However, um, it's those uh, non-system youth, the kids that don't fit a definition um, or criteria to access those programs. Um, So the runaway and homeless youth programs are there as a safety net and a catch-all for everybody else who doesn't fit that. Um, So a lot of times it's situations where police get called, there's no violence in the home, it's not that they need to go into hospital for an evaluation, they haven't broken any laws, but everybody knows that that situation is so tense that it could further escalate into, you know, the youth running away or the youth um, and parent or guardian um, have an altercation, you know, potentially something will happen, right? So how do we uh, kind of short circuit that, allow for a respite or break, or even a situation where the kid leaves and then gives us a call, you know, and says, hey, I can't go home. Mom's not letting me come in. Um, Can I go somewhere? And yeah, come to us. We'll be able to help. So it really is a safety net program beyond all those other parts. Um, And that's why Captain has really been invested in it very heavily, because we know that so many kids will fall through the cracks. Gilpin says some young people are sexually or physically abused in the home. For those more serious cases, Captain works with the state. A lot of times, uh, not only the youth have been exploited or abused, but it could be trafficking situations. Um, kids are involved, um, you know, either with uh, some sort of trafficker or a family member, which is unfortunate at times, um, and other scenarios online, things like that. For us, when we talk about trafficking, it's almost exclusively commercial sexual exploitation of youth. Um, There is some labor trafficking that happens with youth and minors. Uh, Most of us, when we're talking about it, it means the commercial exploitation of youth. So they're involved with a trafficker who is exploiting them and um, trading sex for uh, money or other kinds of goods or other things like that. So the youth somehow has gotten involved in that situation, being exploited. Um, and so we have various programs that work on that, but mostly uh, our street outreach program and our safe harbor program are very invested involved in that so that we're looking to identify youth, um, not only victims, but also high-risk youth who are participating in behavior um, that appears to be trafficking, either online or in person, you know, 
going to hotels, unexplained money, unexplained gifts, uh, multiple cell phones, things that would indicate that there's a problem emerging here. Um, and then we quickly uh, look to engage those youth, get them into services, understand uh, what trafficking looks like, could they be involved, develop trust, rapport, so we have conversations about it. Um, and there's several programs out there that actually provide support services for youth in those situations. We're one, um, youth shelter as well, safe environment, get them out of whatever um, home environment they're in or place they're living that uh, the trafficker has access to them, so that then they're, and we don't allow visitors, so there is a chance for them to be removed from that, start talking about it, start uh, thinking about um, their involvement in that lifestyle or potential involvement in that lifestyle, and then what supports can we put in place when they return home, the trafficker really doesn't have access to them. Gilpin says while most youth referrals come from schools, about a quarter come from law enforcement. When they come across a situation, either they find a youth who's walking the streets, they respond to something in the home environment, um, they get alerted about a situation that might be trafficking, they know they can contact us and that the youth can come to us for you know, a short period of time uh, for uh, the crisis intervention, um, and then we'll start to work on that to get things in place and really good, strong communication back and forth. But law enforcement's definitely like sort of frontline understanding what the issues are, right? So they, they're responding to the home environment where there is a fight or there is, you know, kids or parents are destroying something, neighbors call or they call, um, but then they let us know so we can help. Gilpin says if you're being abused at home, Captain can help. There's lots of resources out there. Captain is one of them. You can give us a call. We can help you. We can walk you through. Um, when you come to us, it's a safe environment. And we'll be able to then advocate for you and what you need and make sure that we can help you uh, on what that next step might be. According to the Voices of Youth Count from the University of Chicago, about 4.2 million young people experience homelessness each year in the U.S. About 700,000 are unaccompanied minors, meaning they are not part of a family. On any given night, about 41,000 unaccompanied youth aged 13 to 25 experience homelessness. I think we've all had that moment when we're walking along, sipping a latte on a crisp fall day, smiling about how good we feel in this particular outfit, thinking about our evening plans, when you look down and see an unhoused person. I wish I could tell you that I often go up to them and introduce myself and ask them how they're doing. I wish I could tell you that I walk around offering my cell phone to people who might need to call home. I wish I could tell you I don't avert my eyes and keep walking every time. But I do. I think we all do. And I think we all know that we need to stop. I was standing around like one of those girls I had seen in a movie. The whole world was a movie back then. Thanks for joining us for this week's 51%. Thanks to our story editor, Ian Pickus. Thanks to Tina Rennick and Liz Hill for production assistance. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. Our theme music is Lolita by Albany-based artist Girl Blue. 51% is a national production of Northeast Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this episode again or share it with your friends, sign up for our podcast or visit wamc.org. 
And don't forget, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 51% Radio. I'm your host, Jackie Orchard. Until next week, remember, the future is fearless. Thank <laughs> you.